Hello and welcome to Energy Voice Out Loud, leading the global energy conversation. I'm Ryan, one of our reporters, and today I'm joined by Jim Simpson from Searchlight Cyber. How are you doing today, Jim? Uh, doing good, thanks, mate. Uh, enjoying the hot weather, not enjoying the hay fever. Um, but yeah, apart from that, doing pretty well. Oh, the joys of British summertime. The the houses that are built to keep in heat and the, uh, the allergies flaring up. <laughs> well... Before we get any further, Jim, do you want to maybe introduce yourself a little bit to the Energy Voice reader, uh, readership, viewership, audience? Whoever's listening, wherever in the world. Uh, yeah, um, so I'm Jim Simpson. I'm currently the Director of Threat Intelligence at a company called Searchlight Cyber. We specialize in dark web uh, research and collection. Um, we'll get into what that means, I, I guess, later on. Uh, before that, I was director of threat intelligence for a company called Silence and BlackBerry. You might remember BlackBerry from the phones. Um, but yeah, they also have like a software house. So I was doing um, malware investigations and, and research. Um, I've been working in security for sort of 15-ish years now, a whole bunch of different roles. Uh, I will name some of the acronyms and I apologize if you don't know what they mean, but I used to work in SOC and IR, so Instant Response or Security Operation Centers. Um, I've done a whole bunch of risk stuff, compliance things around the likes of PCI uh, DSS and ISO uh, 27001, those kind of things. Um, so a mix of vendor uh, background and actual um, practitioner background. Um, yeah, that's kind of me. Good, good. So we've got the whole package on the podcast today. <laughs> that's uh, that's what we're hearing. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, and 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 I do training as well for a company called Sans. Um, so I'm a certified instructor candidate for Sans, where we teach uh, threat intelligence to people who need to know more about it. Good, good. And you know, you in your in your introduction there, you uh, touched on the dark web. Now, obviously, Searchlight Cyber has just released. A really interesting report into the dark web and its impact on energy sector businesses. But I think a lot of people that are listening to this maybe maybe are thinking, you know, well, I've heard, you know, the dark web mentioned in movies and TV shows and, you know, throwaway lines when, you know, the tech whiz is definitely typing on a keyboard, not just slapping away at it. But what does uh what is the dark web? The the dark web, yeah, usually get like dude in a black hoodie in a basement and then green stuff on his face, like the the stereotypical view of it. Uh, but yeah, the, the dark web is a it's a protocol. When we talk about the dark web, there are a number of protocols um, that we really mean. Uh, Tor being the most prevalent right now. Uh, Tor really made an effort to make using dark web technologies easy. But when we talk about dark web, we're talking about things get a bit mixed up. So you can either talk about deep web or dark web and all these sort of acronyms merge into one. But when we're talking about deep web, we're talking about things that you can use a normal browser to visit, but they aren't indexed by the likes of Google. So you can't go to Google and search for something that's posted on a private Instagram chat or on Telegram, those sort of things. They're deep web because they are, you don't need special technology to access them, but they're not indexed. They're not easily findable. Um, when we talk about dark web, that's where we start to look at the services like Tor and I2P and um, Freenet. There's a, a bunch of others. But we we mainly focus on Tor um, and a little bit of I2P at Searchlight. When we talk about the dark net, we're talking about a um, sort of like a protocol that will hide or make anonymous people's connections. So the dark web, you have traffic coming in on one side and it goes out on another side. And you can see who is talking to the dark web or you can see where the dark web is talking to, but you cannot point, put person over here coming out over here. You can't see that connection between the two things. And that's when we use dark web as a proxy or a way to access a service on the internet in a way 
that hides that that anonymity. We're, we make it look like someone else is doing those requests for us. And the other thing that happens on the dark web is they have an idea of um, onion services, or so a dot .onion address. And that is the same idea as like a normal website or a normal, normal internet routine. However, the servers are hosted um, inside of Tor. And in order to get to those, you need to have like Tor browser or a Tor enabled browser in order to get to them. And there's an idea that these are anonymous. They sit within the dark web. You have to access them. They reside within the dark web, as opposed to the first example I gave where we use the dark web to proxy our connection out to the clear web again. And yeah, there's there's a whole bunch of stuff we can go into. There's there's stuff on our blog around goes into a bit more detail about it. If anyone's if anyone's that interested and you want to get past the uh, the stereotypical black hoodie, green screen uh, stuff, um, yeah. Yeah, good, good. I think it's I think it's interesting to contextualize it. Yeah, because I think if we just jumped straight into looking at the report and looking at uh, the dark web and how it intersects with energy sector, I think people are thinking Neo from the Matrix sitting in his his basement, not maybe uh, something. It's not like what's actually going on. But the report that you know I just mentioned um, found that seventy two percent of energy sector chief information security officers are gathering data from the dark web. And 27% of those that are say that it has no impact on their company at all. Now, is that the case? Is that is that true? Or is this a misconception by those using the dark web in the energy sector? It's, it's a weird one because, so when you're collecting data from the dark web, like I said, there's no Google to go to. So if you're collecting data yourselves, which is perfectly possible all these forums and these onion addresses that sit within the dark web you can you can go and scrape them yourselves you can go to those sites and you can read through those sites and you can have a team dedicated to go and doing it if you wanted to and you can have a look for it but you need to have that breadth of collection you need to know uh i need to visit all of these different sites and i need to visit them on a daily basis and i need to keep up to date with are these sites on the way down or are they on the way up or are there a new site that we need to go to and not just in the dark web but likes of telegram and other non-indexed deep web type resources. So when 27% of people say that there's nothing on there that is useful to them, it it depends on what you're trying to get from it. Like when we get into when we get into the world of Intel, it depends is a very common word or is a very common statement. Um, you might not see anything today that has anything to do with your company, but that might change tomorrow. And the report that uh, we put out, we talk a lot about initial access brokers, which we can dig a bit deeper into if you want to and, and sort of explore what that means. But they might be advertising access to a company one day and then it could be sold and that post could be gone. So if you're only monitoring every, uh, I don't know, like once a day or once a week and having a look around, things change pretty quickly on the dark web. Um, so if someone did have access to your company and you didn't happen to check when the post was up, then it might be uh, something that you miss out on. I can understand why people say it, and it definitely comes down to your requirements and what it is that you're trying to get out of your data set when you're looking at your data set. Yeah, we can get into that as well if you want to get into the world of Intel requirements and the, the Intel lifecycle, which I nerdily find massively interesting, but I'm sure the people out there are just like, nah, shut up, dude. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Good. Well, you know, it, it, it might be interesting uh, to contextualize, you know, we're saying that information uh, can be uh, is sold on the dark web, but what what sort of information is there available? Um, so there's everything. So uh, 
if we if we take an example, say um, I have an intelligence requirement to find um, access that is being sold to comp my company or peer companies. So I want to see if anyone is selling access to my company or another company in my area. And what that might give you is an idea of okay, I haven't been targeted yet, but I know someone else in my in my industry vertical who's very similar to me has been targeted and this was the way they were targeted, then that gives me an idea of defensive measures I can take proactively. Like if we know people are doing this sort of thing, then I need to make sure this stuff is patched and I have detections in place so that if anyone tries to exploit this or they're trying to get in this way, um, that we're set up on that. And that's where you get into the likes of um, the MITRE attack matrix. They make things... Uh, they have a taxonomy that allows you to describe what people are doing in a, a common format that allows people to share that sort of data or, or see that sort of data. And from the dark web, um, when we talk about that, we're, we're, we're look, usually looking for listings. Um, people who have access or who are financially motivated might try and be sell, might be trying to sell that access. Um, yeah, that, there's a whole ecosystem there that, that that's worth exploring. No hearing that there might be people listening to this going okay so people can buy to have access oh you know buy, uh, buy data to get access to my, my company but why should i care what does that mean what does what can they do with that then so when we're talking dark web we're more talking about financially motivated act, uh, actors rather than sort of like state back actors who might be looking at stuff for intellectual property theft or for taking down services think like crimea uh 2015 2016 and the attacks we saw there that took down part of the um, electricity grid. So when we're talking about those financially motivated people, the attackers might have specializations in what they can do. So if I can get initial access, so I can get a foothold in your environment, then that might be as far as I want to go. I might not be a ransomware operator who wants to go through your network and encrypt all your files, so you have to pay a ransom to get it. But that initial access might be of value to a ransomware operator. So if you can see either credentials being sold um, and you know that you are using VPNs, you have VPNs open, uh, there might be members of your company or um, colleagues who have credentials that have been leaked. Can those credentials be used against your VPN? If they are and they're being sold and someone has access to those credentials, can they use that to get onto your network? And then once they're on the network, what might they do then? They might go and try and steal data. They might try and encrypt data. They might try and just exfiltrate that data and hold it over your head like the extortion uh, tactics we're seeing. Uh, the Move It things recently, I'm guessing most people heard about the the Move It thing that Klopp used. In fact, what were we on? 15th, yeah. So they, they started publishing a list of victims yesterday um, from the Move It campaign and they didn't go down the route of ransoming. They didn't go down the route of encrypting files. They stole data and then threatened to sell it unless you pay a ransom for it. So there are there's a multitude of different ways of what can happen. Um, and one of the things to think about is maybe to come up with a threat model of your industry, your, your company and say, what is of biggest value to us? Um, how would someone get there? Do we have defenses in place? Do we have detections in place? And then layering on top something like dark web monitoring. Okay, where's our where's the opportunity for that for that actor? Are we presenting opportunities there? Are there things that aren't patched, and we know that certain uh, vulnerabilities are being exploited right now? Um, and all that sort of data you can get from the dark web, as well as any, uh, as well as other sources. I'm not I'm not saying dark web is not be all end all. 
Um, it's not, there's no silver bullet with all this, but it it is a a data source that is useful. Perfect. Um, but I guess the 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 main takeaway that maybe as someone that doesn't know very much about this sector, what I'm sort of taking away from this is your sort of yeah your information security officers within a firm should be keeping up to date with it, keeping uh, looking to see if the next firm along has had something happen to them looking to see how it happened, trying to trying to counteract that. So I guess the the next question is, how often do you see that like, oh, BP was attacked this week and then a couple of days later, Shell was attacked, to speak hypothetically? <laughs> it depends. Told you that comes up quite a lot. Um, but yeah, the, uh, so if we, if we take Moveit, so for example, so um, it might be easier instead of focusing on the companies, but focusing on technologies that might be similar across organizations. So Moveit, if you know that exploitation is happening against a technology that you use, once you know that that is being exploited, we call it in the wild. So there, there's the idea that you can exploit something in uh, a lab environment and you can test it as security researchers, people like to do that. And like, we can prove, oh yeah, we did this and we made this happen. But if it's actually happening against um, private infrastructure, like people's infrastructure rather than um, your own infrastructure, then that's where we say it's in the wild. Um, so if you if you know that a certain technology is being exploited in the wild and you can pick up that you use that technology and are we patched and do we have a vulnerable version and all those sort of things, that's when we sort of see these chain of events. So like Move It happened um, sort of start of this month and uh, you saw quite quickly as soon as Move It announced that patch, there was an awful lot of people who were potentially affected. There are services out there um, like Shodan, if uh, anyone's familiar with Shodan. Shodan is a way that has a look what servers are on the internet and what servers I can see. So you can use things like Shodan to then go and query to see if uh, other companies have that same technology available. And then me as an attacker, if I have something ready to go, I can just go and send it to all these servers and see where I can pick up um, access. And that's where we see things bounce along really, really quickly from the perspective of company specific or industry specific things then yeah there's usually an overlap in technology i say that very very broadly um but there is an overlap in certain technologies if you operate in certain states then sometimes there is a requirement to use maybe a specific payroll thing or a specific accounting type of technology and that can become the common thing with your industry as well um we saw that with the ukrainian um, accounting software as well a while back. But I think we've covered quite a lot of ground in not a very long, uh, long space of time. But So we've touched on what the dark web is. We've described who's using it, why it should be used, what's out there. What happens if maybe your uh, information security folks at your firm didn't catch that your information was going, going up for sale? It's been sold, you've been attacked, right? What happens post that? How do you reduce damage? How do you stop it outright? Or can you stop it outright? Or is it now it's went too far and that's it? So it depends when you find out about a breach or when you find out about uh, an intrusion um, on your infrastructure. So if you have indicators within your environment that you have been um, breached, 
that's the point at which you would start to do stuff like instant response. Now, if you have your own instant response team in-house, fantastic. They'll go out and do what they need to do. But there are firms out there who specialize, especially from the energy industry, actually specialize in doing instant response for the sort of OT environments. Um, Dragos is a great example of it. Uh, they they focus purely on um, on that sector. So they have, from my understanding, probably the best people placed to do that instant response level stuff. And that's where you're, when, when we're talking about the dark web, um, we're talking about things that happen off your network. So these are things that we can see that are sold off your network. When you start to get on your network, from our perspective, from Searchlight's perspective, we don't have visibility there. That's where you have the companies like Dragos and CrowdStrike and Mandiant who offer those instant response functions um, and they can work with different companies to, to resolve those issues. Um, instant response kind of goes in identification of where things are. Uh, you have to contain the incident as best you can. So if you know that people have moved on to numerous different uh, servers or bits of infrastructure within your environment, how do we contain that? Do we have full containment? Do we know that they definitely haven't got anywhere else? And then we can start to, once we've got it contained, we can start to do rebuilds. We can start to get the actor off the environment. The further on the attack chain you go, the more expensive things get because yeah, the the instant response bills add up pretty quickly. And that's why like the likes of trying to identify potential vulnerabilities or where someone's access has been sold and you can say we know that this account in our environment was leaked in a combo list or some credentials that were for sale we know that this set of credentials has been sold can we change that credential can we see what that user was doing within our environment we use that to go and hunt and see if there was anything that was a bit weird happened a bit anomalous that happened are we potentially compromised that place those are like really small little bits that take a bit more work to investigate and prove whether something bad has happened. But if you can catch it there, as opposed to when that account has been used to do follow on steps, it's going to be a better day for you rather than it's got all the way to the end. Um, and then when things have been exfiltrated, um, so company data, company emails, things that might be embarrassing, things that are confidential, um, if that's been exfiltrated, then you start to have to go down the, um, the route of working with like the ICO, the Information Com uh, Commission Officer, uh, and notify them that's happened. You'd have to notify customers. You have to notify any employees who might have had personal information leaked and all that kind of stuff. It's uh, yeah, it's a big, big thing when you get into like the full blown incidents. Taking away from what you're saying there, it seems like as with as with a lot of problems, prevention's always better than cure, right? It's it's better to get ahead of this thing and ensure that this data was never up for sale rather than mitigating the problems that come after the sale. So I guess the next logical question would probably be, what do you do? What do you do to stop it? Is there enough in place that you can say, well, we can, we're bulletproof here, or is it, is it are you always going to be vulnerable in some capacity? There are going to be vulnerabilities. There, there always will be. If it's been made by a human, which everything has, then it will be able to be broken by a human. And that gets proven over and over again. But you can there's a there's a concept within security called defense in depth. So the the stuff that we do, we try and identify potential flaws before they become realized. That's one layer of protection. That's not going to be perfect. There is no silver silver bullet there. 
you then have the likes of endpoint protection systems. So antivirus software, like my previous role, um, EDR, which is endpoint detection response. So not just looking for malware on your system, but looking for anomalous behavior on your system, which is another layer of defense. You obviously have patching of all your applications and your infrastructure. You can do um, network secure network design. So you isolate different networks that are, that are of higher importance. Um, there's loads of steps that you can take and what you want to do is build up a, a depth-based detection. Like if you can prevent stuff, amazing, but you have to be able to detect stuff. Like prevention is great, detection is required. Um, that's, that's where things get a bit tricky. So yeah, there's no there's no way of, I would advise never no one to ever say we are bulletproof, but you, you need that mix of good technology, good architectural design, a uh, human element on top. So that would be your SOC, your security operation center who are looking for those alerts from your detection things. And if they find anything, then you have maybe a threat hunting team and an incident response team. And there are obviously like that's a massive cost to companies. There are other companies um, out there who provide those services for you. So MSSPs are managed security providers. Managed. There's so many acronyms in this world. Uh, but yeah, MSSPs uh, can help if you don't have those sort of teams in place or in-house. Um, yeah, there's no, I, I, I would never say anywhere's bulletproof. It's um, red flag to a bull in some cases. It, it's almost inviting people to go, well, I'll prove you wrong. Is that kind of kind of the idea? There, there have been some uh, examples of that in the, in the past. So be prepared, but don't gloat, as I think the, uh, the main, yeah. main takeaway there. Don't uh, yeah, show that red flag to the bull, I suppose, is the, uh, the optimum way to describe it, as you put it. So obviously you're here from Searchlight Cyber. Searchlight Cyber just did this massive report. It's available on your website. But what can your firm do in this space to, to help? What what services can you provide? So uh, we've, uh, we've got a couple of products, uh, Dark IQ and Cerberus. Uh, they're designed for different purposes. Um, so Cerberus is more, if you're like me and you're on the threat intelligence side and you wanted to go and actively investigate things, Cerberus is there for that. So I'm hands-on. I want to go and dig into this topic or this thing um, and see what the dark web has to offer me around that, extra information around that. And we have Dark IQ, which is more from the alerting perspective. So uh, we're collecting all this data and we have some um, logic in there that says, we think this is of importance to you and should be something that your team goes and has a look at. So th this, that's what the kind of difference between the two tools. Um, when you start looking at the, the data that is in Cerberus, we have, um, like I mentioned already, sort of like credential leaks or uh, combo lists as they're sometimes called, um, database leaks. It's sort of similar to Have I Been Pwned. Don't know if anyone's ever been on the Have I Been Pwned website, uh, but yeah, that's great uh, resource as well. But we, we kind of offer that alongside other things. So we can tell you if any credentials with your domain have been sold recently. That gives you a thing to go and say, right, we know this has been exposed. We Has that account done anything weird recently? Um, the other sort of things we see are uh, listings for sale. So claims that uh, actors have made that they have access to a company. They might name the company. They usually don't name the company, but they'll give away indicators of what that company is. So what industry that company operates in, the location of the headquarters for that industry, the turnover size of the of that company, maybe number of employees. So you can narrow it down pretty quickly as to as to who might have been targeted. From that, you can say, do I fit that profile? The other thing that comes in those listings is usually what level of account permission is on there. Is this just a normal user or is this an admin user? So it kind of gives you an idea on the risk and things. And also the technology. So you'll see either it was VPN or I don't know, Fortinet or RDP access um, is being sold. 
that gives you loads of different places from a from a threat hunter perspective. So from either your MSSPs, if they offer threat hunting services, or if you have a threat hunting team internally, you can say this fits our profile. So this could be us. We know that they're coming in via RDP, and we know that they have an admin account. That gives you a bunch of places to start looking. What RDP enabled services do I have? RDP is Remote Desktop Protocol, Windows Protocol. I know if there's any acronyms that I'm saying, just call me out on them. Yeah, where where are my externally facing RDP entities? Go onto those boxes, have a look at through the logs, have a look for anything that weird is happening. Is this you? No, it might not be you this time. Awesome. But you can also use all of that data to do tabletop exercises because like you said before, what happens if it gets to the point of we're already compromised and things are really bad? Tabletop exercises are a fantastic use of people's time because you bring together all the stakeholders for your company. So you'd have your CISO, you'd have marketing, you'd have legal, you'd have PR, you'd have HR, all of these people in the same room. You say, right, this is what's happened today. What choices do we make? We know that we've been compromised here and that's the start of the day. So it's like you bring together, do we make a statement publicly? What do we do from the security perspective? What do legal say that we can do? Can we go and get logs from all these different machines that our users are on? And you can work out the scenario and the way you'd, you'd play it. And you can see what the issues with some of those decisions might be. So yeah, when we're going to come out and we're going to make a statement early on. And then, okay, so if you made a statement early on, then people like the BBC or Sky News or someone might come knocking on your door and saying, right, we need more information about it. How do you then handle those follow-on ones? Or the flip side, you don't say anything about it, but then a group posts they've got access to your website and therefore you've not been upfront and honest. And now you're getting questions as why you're trying to hide this. So there's like, you can explore all these different avenues, but from the, the security perspective side of this and where the dark web data can help, it's like, okay, we have access here or we've seen stuff being sold here. How do we go about investigating it? role playing that and tabletopping that within your security team might be massively helpful. So there's a bunch of stuff, different stuff that you can do with the data. Once you know that things are being sold, what detections would we have in place? What detections do we have in place to see if people are trying to exploit things en masse? Like um, things that can inform decisions around how you set up your network or your infrastructure. Our data set allows you to sort of think, oh, okay, well, this could be this. And you generate hypothesis for how people might get in even if you're not being impacted right now? And then do we defend against this? How many dif different defenses and detections do we have against this single action that someone might take? One question that came up, to, uh, sort of popped up to me there while you were speaking was, now this might be me showing my, my ignorance in the space. And, you know, I'd, I'd quite like uh, you to tell me outright if I, if I am. But obviously post-COVID, a lot of people are still working from home. You're not in, in the office. You're maybe not on a sort of closed network that you might have been with your desktop hooked up to... Uh, yeah, hooked up to a network with all the other computers that are there. You might be on a laptop sitting on a VPN. Does that increase security risk or is that something that's now you can counteract? Um, it does increase security risk to a point. Uh, obviously, with COVID, um, a lot of the attacks that we saw post that were looking at that infrastructure that allows people to connect remotely in because it's going to be more heavily relied upon and therefore you're going to have more traffic going through it. So anomalous traffic becomes harder to spot. You basically, that signal to noise ratio is, is different. Um, if you're working from home, you're obviously on a network that might not be secured. So even if uh, your laptop has a VPN into your corporate network, what other devices are on your network? 
Is there any potential for those to be infected and then anything to work through your home network? That's a potential concern. The, the BYOD sort of stuff to bring your own device, uh, again, that's another issue. Uh, you can There are technologies out there that sort of help with it. There's the, the idea of zero trust um, networking, which is if you do it very well and very right, can be really good. If it's in the middle somewhere, it tends to not work so well. Uh, from my personal experience. So yeah, the the whole working from home thing does add layers of complexity to those issues. But it's long been known that the the idea of having a closed sort of network that is super, super difficult to get into, like an M&M, right? Like the crispy outer shell, and then you get the nice chocolatey goodness in the middle. Like people find a way to get through the crispy outer shell, and then those networks tended to be... Um, not so secure once you got into them. And that's where we go back to the defense in depth side of side of things. So if you do have people working from home, you need to make sure your defense in depth is, is spot on uh, with all that kind of stuff. Well, I believe we've run through all the questions I wanted to ask you while you were here today, Jim. But of, of course, you'll maybe have other things that you wanted to bring up, wanted to flag while you're here on Energy Voice Out Loud. Is there anything you'd like to tell our audience while you're here? Uh, no, I mean, I, I find this stuff massively interesting. So if anyone ever wants to have a chat, uh, yeah, I'm always up for chatting. I think um, I think one of the one of the biggest things to to think about when you start to look at tools like ours and and um, other things in that can help you from a security perspective, it's it's coming back to understanding what your requirements are. Uh, it's really boring. And me, 20 years ago or 15 years ago, when I started in security, and someone was like, "Oh, what are your requirements?" I'm like, "I don't need requirements. I can go and do cool stuff." Um, and the older I'm getting, I'm like, oh man, I sound like those old people that I used to work with, but they were right and I was wrong. Uh, but understanding your requirements, understanding I have this knowledge gap and I need to make decisions on where I'm going to spend my my budget for defense or for detection or training and all those sort of things. If you understand your requirements and you then understand the questions that you're trying to ask and you're trying to answer, then you can understand the data sources that you need to answer those questions requirements and then each of those requirements should be there to make a decision on the back of so uh do we need to have two-factor authentication in place the answer is yes uh but you might want to go and, and find out what data sources that you could use for that so you could use something like ours for that 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 kind of very noddy uh requirement but understanding how many credentials are leaked on a daily basis how many of our staff have had credentials leaked therefore would inform you as to what your risk is and whether the expenditure on 2FA, two-factor authentication is worth that to you. So understand your requirements. That's going to inform what data collections you need. Dark web might be one. It might not be one. Um, but then you can make those better decisions. It's it's all about understanding what you're trying to solve for rather than buying shiny blinky boxes or a data set like ours just because it sounds cool and it's got dark web in the name. Like I, I prefer people to come and say, this is why we need your data and this is what we're trying to achieve with your data. I think if you start from that perspective, then you're going to get way better outcomes than just going and buying the latest blinky thing that promises the world and doesn't do stuff. Um, I've been on the other side of it, not vendor land forever. So I, I, I understand uh, how salespeople can be and promise everything. Uh, sorry to my salespeople. They're not like that. Uh, they're great. Um, but yeah, the, it's the understand what it is that you're trying to answer get those get those data sources to support your decisions that's that's my key takeaway from all of this really that uh, that was very comprehensive jim i feel like we've had a whistle stop tour around the 
dark web in the energy sector. So thank you very much for joining us. Uh, thank you to Searchlight Cyber for uh, giving, you, uh, giving you to us so we could have this conversation. And thank you very much, listener, for getting through this. It's, it was a fantastic, interesting conversation. Very nitty gritty, a lot of acronyms. And I'm sure I'm going to have a lot of fun writing the show notes, trying to decipher all of them. <laughs> um, well, that does it for this episode of Energy Voice Out Loud with Searchlight Cyber. But if you want to remain a member of that global energy conversation, please stay tuned to Energy Voice Out Loud on your podcast platform of choice. Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice, leading the global energy conversation. Bookmark and subscribe to energyvoice.com. Sign up to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for expert analysis and insight right across the energy sector. Subscribe to Out Loud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do encourage colleagues and friends to listen to Out Loud too. If you've enjoyed it, leaving a rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts, helps others discover it too. Thank you.